Alright, what up? It's the Man to Man Boys. Uh, just realized we didn't do an intro for this interview with Bruce Buffer. If you clicked on the video, you already know who we're interviewing for Season 4, Episode 3. little context behind this, uh, Bruce Buffer was actually our second interview that we had lined up in Los Angeles. He was the only one out of Jorge and Lauren that was going to be a Zoom interview. Uh, so he was going to be the next day after Jorge, I guess... We messed up. Sometimes we don't know what the heck is going on, and uh, I guess we sent him the wrong link. So we didn't get the content that we wanted. It was about a 15-minute interview. We looked at it afterwards. We said, we're not going to be putting this out, yada, yada. So we rescheduled the interview, and it's actually just me interviewing Bruce Buffer. Liam had work, but uh, that's the context. Super cool interview, quick pace. Bruce Buffer, is a lot going on with him. Quick housekeeping notes. Get your damn merch. It's how you can support the pod. Click the link in the description. I'm rocking the merch right now. We've got a couple of different cool items in there. Once we can get some merch sold, we can come out with cooler designs like we used to with the LeBron versus Jordan design that everyone loved. But use code MixFree at the checkout to receive free shipping. And uh, we're borderline impossible to find on Spotify. It's really freaking annoying because the other Man to Man podcasts haven't came out with an episode in years. And I think Spotify does it where it's like the more ratings and reviews you have, the better. So please rate, review. We're trying to get to 1K on YouTube. YouTube subscribers, that's the goal. Road to 1K. I'm going to get out of here and let you guys get into the interview with Bruce Buffer. Enjoy the show. UFC superstar Jorge Game Brad Masvidal, dude. What's going on, baby? What's up, everybody? Today we're switching things up and talking man to woman. Please welcome, please welcome on the show singer, songwriter, social media star Lauren Gray. You um, know you like the DJ. I am okay. <laughs> Alrighty, welcome back to the Man to Man podcast. Today we're privileged to have another legend on the show known as the voice of the UFC. Please welcome in Bruce Buffer. Bruce, how are we? Thank you for coming on, brother. Hi, Liam. Doing well. Coming off two big UFCs and uh, getting ready for the big one in Boston the next week. So I was going to a million other things. <laughs> I was going to say, Bruce, we're, we're some Nashville boys and we were in L.A. last week. I kind of saw highlights of the fight in Nashville. I heard it was a great fight leading up to the main events. Uh, nonetheless, I'm wearing the suit, Bruce, and this is kind of like a joke for us. We just wanted to dress up for you. Saw the emerald green and black, so I guess I just got to ask you, man, how many suits do you have, and then how do you pick what suit you're wearing on each fight night, man? Well, in actuality, I don't really know how many suits I have. Let's just say it's probably around 70 or more. Okay. Um, give or take. Uh, what I can tell you is, is that many of the suits are designed specifically for a brand-new show, and I wear it one time. Okay. Um, when I get back, the, the tuxedo or the jacket will go to the rear of the closet, make its way forward until I want to wear it again, which could be like a year or so from or more from the time that I wore it. I do have a couple of the classic all black James Bond type tuxedos, yep. which I wear, you know, about every six or seven shows. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it's a variety. It depends. If I go to Canada, I want to wear red. If I go to Ireland, I want to hopefully wear some shade of green, you know, I uh, England, I wore a royal blue, you know, like whatever I can capture with the theme. So right. sometimes I'll sit in my closet, stand in my closet rather, and I'll look and I'm like, I can't make up my mind. <laughs> yeah. And does it does it go with the watches too, with the suit? You got to have like a certain watch with a certain type of 
of suit. I'm, I'm suit. not quite that distinguished because I'm a Rolex fan. Otherwise, I'd be spending my whole bank account on Rolexes. But um, you know, I've got three. I've got three watches that I wear, but I mainly like. There you go. Okay, I got you right here. Let's go. As as I, I want to talk to you about just being in Nashville again. Um, obviously, the first fight was, I believe, in 2019, which I think it was a knockout in that main event. People are, I, I just saw people were kind of booing. The main event was kind of like a grappling thing. I think the guy got hurt after the first round. But I just kind of ask you, we're not really a UFC podcast, and I don't know a lot, a lot about it, but does taking a guy on the ground like that for like 19 minutes hurt a city's chance of bringing the UFC back to that city. I'm just curious. No, the fight has nothing to do with the city. Uh, the fight has to do with, put it this way. The fight is there for the city. The fans showed up and sold out the arena. Yeah. That's all we need to know that they love the UFC to go back. And obviously they've gone back to Nashville. Now I'm not the powers that be, I don't make those decisions, Yeah, but the energy of the Nashville crowd, uh, Nashville is an amazing city. Um, had some good meals when I was there. Uh, you know, everybody wants the UFC, but there's only so many shows per year. There's only so many places we can go. Right. Sure, we're going to go back to Nashville. I have no doubt. Right. Everyone's loving it, man. Everyone's Everyone from Los Angeles is moving here, man. It's crazy. I'm from here, and they're like, how My best friend here? is there. One of my best friends is there. I had dinner with him uh, Friday and Saturday night. You know, it's a lot of people moving there. Is he? Okay, let's talk about another anticipating fight that took place on the same night that you were in Nashville announcing that fight. Jake Paul, Nate Diaz, did you get a chance to watch it? Did you get a chance to watch the highlights at least? I saw bits and pieces. I saw the highlights. Um, saw a couple of uh, full rounds. And... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. You can ask me. I was just going to say, does Nate go back again into the octagon with Jake, or how well do you think Jake even held himself against Nate? Well, a two-part question. The first thing I can tell you is that, let's face it, Nate is not a, he's a boxer. He can box, but he's not a boxer. Okay. He's an, he's an MMA fighter and he's a fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it pretty well went to be expected. Uh, Jake is fighting. The last time he fought a real boxer who wasn't, with all respect, one of the best boxers out there, he lost. Okay. He's handpicking his opponents very well. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody can win at any given moment in a fight. Uh, he's becoming a hell of a promoter in his own right, whether I agree with the way he handles himself or not. He's bringing young eyeballs to the sport of boxing that would never or are not watching boxing as normal. They're watching UFC or they're not watching any fights, whatever. Um, so in that respect, to the sport of boxing, that's great because most boxing fans are older, you know, that watch the or uh, heavy amongst fans, amongst Latinos, you know, young Latinos. They, they're all into boxing, which is great. They have a lot of heroes in boxing uh, as well as they're into the UFC. So there's a lot of benefits coming from it. Um, it was, I guess, if people were entertained, that's fine. You know, Nate was Nate, and he lost as Nate loses, you know. Yeah. And talks as Nate talks, walks as Nate walks. And it, to me, it was all to be expected. I mean, basically, Nate Diaz is two weight classes lower. He's 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, still quite capable of being a monster that he is. Um, but I want to see him back in the octagon. You kind of mentioned the sport of boxing and maybe like an older audience keeps up with that sport of boxing. And some people are getting, I guess, disappointed that maybe Jake Paul is hurting the sport of boxing. You got guys like Mike Tyson. That's like he's saving the sport of boxing. He's putting people in seats. It was the second biggest pay-per-view behind UFC, I believe, 277 post-pandemic back in Dallas right there. Which I mean, which was the highest? Which was the highest? Correct. I'll just what are your thoughts no, which, on that? Which was the highest pay-per-view? Which, which was the highest pay-per-view ever? No, you just said that 
It was the highest behind UFC, whatever. I, I oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Second highest, second highest behind UFC 277. That's that fight what against. Was, yep. Between. What was the Jake Paul, Nate Diaz fight? I think it was like 3.1 million. And then the UFC 277 was 4.45. The Jake Paul, Nate Diaz fight did 3.1 million buys reportedly. That's what I read online. If yeah. that's if that's true, then and I hope Nate got a piece of the action for the pay per view. Um, that's a that's a very huge mark. Yeah, very yeah, huge. that's that's what it said. So I'm just keeping up with the research. I don't know, but I guarantee you the about. reason. Yeah, but the reason that it did that is because the UFC fans wanted to see Nate Diaz. Correct. Right. So they both kind of promoted it very well. I'm just watching the face-to-face against Nate Diaz. And again, I'm, I didn't grow up really on UFC, but I'm just wondering, like, how is this guy like a free agent? And if he loses, he still wants to fight or he's like a free agent. He wants to go back to UFC. Is there a point in time? I'm just thinking for this guy specifically to maybe kind of call it quits at some point here soon. There's a point where everybody has to call it quits, but it's a matter of when they want to call it quits. But if you're if you're in right. a position like Nate Diaz and somebody's throwing, you know, 10 million, 5 million, 2 million, whatever at you to walk in and do what you do. I mean, he pretty much fought the fight he wanted to fight. Right. I don't know how hard he trained for the fight. Um, you know, it's a money grab at this it, point. I mean, is Nate Diaz out there to become the champion of the UFC? I don't think so. Yeah. He's out there to fight Conor McGregor in a trilogy, which will do what? Numbers. Okay. Yeah. Numbers. Exactly. And yeah. he'll have the pleasure of fighting Conor McGregor again, which I'm sure he'd love to do. Yeah. Speaking of celebrity boxing, I uh, kind of heard it on your latest podcast with uh, Kevin Holland, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk. Do you think this actually happens? Yeah, I do think it happens. Okay. Okay. Do. Uh, how, what's the type of type of fighting style there? Do you think MMA? Oh, MMA. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, if they if they try to uh, modify the rules in any way. I mean that's not my call. You know, I'm I'm listen, I'm I'm an I'm a mercenary soldier. Okay. They yeah. point out shoot. Okay. I do my job. Um my trust is in Dana White. You know, he, he's an amazing maverick of a businessman. He's got us to where we are today, along with everything else that he has at his disposal. And uh from everything I've seen, heard, talked without saying, I mean, I just I think this will happen at some point. Right. Now, if it happens, it's gotta be on a big card. Yeah, uh, won't be the main event, and it could be the it could be surpassing you know four point one million buys. Now you said that four point one billion buys was for what? The UFC two seventy seven. Yes, four point four five million. Which one was that? Was that Conor and who? Uh, that I do not know. It was Conor McGregor, though, I'm sure. Okay, it must have been right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about. Would you oh, would you ever call a Jake Paul fight, or is that just like against Dana White's like thing, or you would just never? I I won't call Jake Paul fight in boxing. Um, I don't think I'll ever be asked to because he's going to make deals with people like uh, Jimmy Lennon, who's fine, fine boxing announcers and contract to the people, or they brought him in, or I probably I probably rather put my brother. In. You know, I manage my the great Michael Buffer, and I'd rather put him in to do it. That's his world. Not that I haven't done boxing or appreciated or could do it. I'm allowed to do whatever I want, except for MMA, because I'm exclusive to the UFC for MMA. Right. Um, in respect to the Paul brothers, uh, something I would enjoy doing is a one-off and announcing Logan Paul in the uh, WWE. I was going to say Logan Paul breaking news. I just came out with he's fighting Dylan Danis in a boxing match October 15th. About That'll be a highly watched fight again. 
Yeah. Let's get into you going to Boston. Another big fight. Um, uh, Aljamain Sterling and Sugar Sean O'Malley. I'm not. I'm not really going to ask you like who you got. Obviously, you're probably not going to tell me. Or I have one answer always. May the best man or woman win. So. <laughs> okay. What I kind of just want to ask you, man. What does it mean to be the voice of a UFC in a sport that puts out must see fights every single month? Like, how does that? What does it feel like? I know you started in what UFC eight, and then kind of went full time in thirteen. Then now we're at two at two ninety two. I mean, what does it mean for you to just kind of be this voice and everyone looks at you in this octagon before these big fights? Well, I'm I'm completely humbled and honored by it. Every morning I wake up and put my feet on the ground. Um, I take great pride in the fact that I have the UFC written on my chest. I walk around with it right on my chest, you know. Do, do you have like a pre-ritual that you do, like a pre-fight ritual that, you know, you eat, you wake up, you say it's time in the mirror. What do you have? Well, I that that's actually you probably read where, or saw where in an interview where I say it's time all the time, still do. In the morning, I'm shaving. You know, it's time to have a great day. It's time to be the best I can be. And that's what led up to my one to create its time in the main event because people have been sitting here for five hours or more watching and fighters are training eight weeks and watching. And I just give you eight weeks and are in there putting their blood, sweat, and tears on the line. It's time. I mean, this is the moment it's all come down to um, and the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, I kind of lost track here. Oh, the uh, ritual. I get a good night's sleep. Yeah. I love a good night's sleep before. And, uh, um, I wake up, I have a power breakfast, do a workout, meditation, get my cards all together, uh, get prepared. And I don't rehearse. I never rehearse. Um, I'll make sure I have the names correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, outside of that, when I walk in the uh, arena and I feel the energy of the crowd, that's what gets me going. How do you prepare your voice to roar like that every single week? Because I'm kind of like uh, I write scripts and do VOs like every single day for this company that I work for. How do you how do you get your voice? Do you just take days and relax or how do you get your voice prepared for every single weekend like that well your voice is like a tool it's like a muscle so i am uh what's that sorry mm-hmm. it, it's like a muscle and being a muscle um you need to over time it, it gets strong it becomes a tool so you just don't abuse it you know you don't abuse your body you shouldn't abuse your body you shouldn't put things in your body that are going to make you feel worse um, and at the same time, you take care of your throat. You take care of everything. It's where it has to be. Right. I've got some thyroid problems here in the past. I went to go get it checked out. They said it's okay. I'm like, are you sure? All right, here we go. So we're, we're cruising. Uh, Bruce, for our audience that just obviously doesn't know, I know you get this question every single time. In an interview, do you mind just telling us how you reconnected with your half-brother, half Michael Buffer? Well, in a, in a really long story cut short, I never knew I had a half-brother as you know, and uh, when he became famous on TV and uh, came out, you know, during the heyday of boxing, when Mike Tyson was bringing boxing back to the water court conversation on a Monday morning, the way the UFC is today, um, I was raised around the boxing world. I was watching boxing right out of the world. And it was a big thing with my family to watch Tuesday night fights and wide world of sports and you know all that we were just always into boxing and i boxed and i started martial arts when i was 12 and you know competed fought the whole bit and basically uh, when michael came out you know here comes this debonair james bond looking individual changing the world of announcing and boxing with his grand voice and his trademark phrase or his phrase let's get ready to rumble and i became a big fan but when they put his name on the screen it's like wow buffer i was in 
telemarketing. I own telemarketing companies in my twenties. And before the internet, you know, we had every phone book in the United States. I, and as a natural thing, you look in the phone book to see if your last name's in there. I never saw my last name in any phone book. So when I saw the name on the screen, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, he's really handsome. It's not like we look alike, you know, but it's like, whoa, who is this guy? Yeah. You know, and, and intrigued by his job and the whole mystique of the whole thing. So I started calling Don King's offices, Bob Aaron's offices, and finding out information on him. And people would walk up to me and say, hey, is that your brother, the guy that goes, let's get ready to rumble? And I go, no, my brother's Brian, you know, who I grew up with and mm-hmm. is my brother. So Michael um, is my half-brother. And the way I found out is um, I was driving with my dad, and I used to ask him about the guy. But one time I really got firm. I said, Dad, everybody's coming up to me. Do you have any idea who this guy is? And he said, I think that's your brother. You know, and he told me the story about how he was married during World War II and uh, at 20 years old and went overseas and a divorce ensued when he came back, you know, and uh, Chai was born during that short period they were married. And uh, it's just one of those things. I don't look down on my dad for it. It's one of those things that happened. And Michael was raised by foster parents under the name of Huber. But when he went in the Army at 20, they never formally adopted him or changed his birth certificate. So he's Michael Buffer. And they said, no, you're not Michael Huber, you're Michael Buffer. Had that not happened, our paths would have never crossed. And he was doing a fight out here in L.A. at a small place called the Reseda Country Club. And my brother Brian and I had him call, uh, suggested he call the, and leave a message. And he did. And Michael called him back. They got together for lunch and turned out to be his, brother, his son. And then we met. It got along great. Four years later, I sold two companies. I was making incredible money in Beach House, living the two-and-a-half-men lifestyle minus the alcoholism. And um, I just was burned out on what I was doing. And I gave everything up to take over and be his manager and his partner and trademark the phrase properly. And told him I put him in everywhere in sports and entertainment, make movies, TV, toys, films, you name it, all based and licensing. Let's get ready to rumble and this, that, and the other. He's like, how are you going to do all that? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. But if I'm going to give all this up, I'll figure it out. And that was 30 some years ago. Right. Yeah. And so then it sounds like you're managing him. And then this is when you kind of transition into your own person into the UFC. Correct. Is that how that? Well, I wanted to become an out. I, I wanted to announce, I had interest in announcing boxing, but it was a confliction of interest and there's no money in it. He's the only one really making any money. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, that's okay. Something else will come along. And then when the UFC came along, I got him in the UFC for three shows. And I had to pull him because of a big contract with WCW wrestling. And I don't think it could have continued at the pace the UFC was going. And I took me a year and a half and I worked my way into the UFC and uh, started in Biomont, Puerto Rico, doing the prelims at UFC 8. And uh, how much maybe can you credit the show Friends for landing the stream job? <laughs> um, that gave me some bartering, a lot of bartering power because when the owner, Robert Myers at the time, called me up and said, hey, do you want to co-star on Friends? I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, well, they ha- we're doing a show with them. They're using a voiceover, but they want the real announcer. Mm-hmm. And I said, great. So they sent Warner Brothers, sent a runner down to get audio and tape. They called me up, said they're rehearsing all day Tuesday, be on the set at six in the morning, uh-huh. film all day Wednesday. I called the owner up and said, I need to meet you, talk to you while you're there. So we talked and I basically told him, I said, I feel like uh, a girl waiting to be asked to go to the prom. Yeah. You know, I've asked you for, I've done everything. I've flown in New York. I've done everything I can to convince you that you need a buffer in the octagon. I've got the media contacts you don't have. People are scared of you. I can get you on shows like Jay Leno and a bunch of other things that I, you know, did that they pay PR people hundred thousand dollars to do it. I did it all for free because I wanted to help build the brand. I said, let me be the announcer. I will help you build the brand. Right. And, <clears throat> but this is the last time I'm going to ask it. And yeah. uh, he agreed and we came to terms and um, that was like, I'm a big poker player. That's like the best poker hand I ever played in my life. 
Yeah, I was going to say, we got a couple more for you here. Let's just talk about your professional poker player career. Yeah, it sounds like you're a world-rated professional poker player on the world circuit. When did you start to get involved with poker? Um, I got involved back in uh, heavily in 2015. Uh, wait, no, excuse me. 2005, I think. I got to go back. It was when Money Chris Moneymaker won the World Series. Um, then I, I went ahead and I got in the World Series after that. And it was around, uh, like... I was a player on Full Tilt. I've been a player on Poker Stars. If you go to carplayer.com, you can look me up and see the amount of money I've won on the pro circuit, the the titles I've won, the whole bit. Like you can find out tennis player winnings. Yeah. And it's it's just an area that I love. I love playing against the pros. I've played against everyone you can imagine. You know, I love playing against Daniel Grano. I love playing against Phil Helmuth. I love pissing him off. Uh, um, I was going to ask if you ever played with those guys before. Oh, yeah. Phil, I played with Phil Ivey. Yeah. Yeah, Phil, I have not I know Phil, but I haven't played with Phil yet. Okay. Love to play with Phil. So uh to me, it's like a fight. You know, you're standing across from somebody, they they bleed, they breathe, they have a heart just like we do. So they're human. So and yeah, it's five five like Mike Sexton said said, takes five minutes to learn, but a lifetime to master. Yeah. And I'm still mastering him. What's what's the biggest swing you've ever had in the, in your poker career? Do you have a moment? You mean like money wise? Yeah, like maybe just at one sitting at a table. Well, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's only talking about the money that I play or win. I mean, have I been in, you know, five-figure, $10,000-plus hands? Yes, of course I have. Yeah. Or is there maybe like a moment that you – I know you play with a high level of patience. Is there a moment in your poker career where that paid off? Do you have a moment that stands out there for you? I have a lot of moments, but one moment that stands out that's not the best moment, but it's still a good moment, was when I was playing the World Series in 2015. I think the last time I played, mm-hmm. I got to day five. I was in the top 10% of players. Uh, people were calling me a dark horse. And I came up in one hand where I pulled back pock pock. It was day five, right before the first break. I had 550,000 chips. You start off with 10 or 20,000 back then. I forget what it was. Uh-huh. And um, uh, I peeled back pocket aces on the button. And the guy under the gun raised, and I, I called his raise, and the flop came 10-8-10, right? No, I raised. I raised his raise. I re-raised him pre-flop. Of course, as you have to do with pocket aces. One thing about pocket aces is, is that you only want to play against one player. You want to push everybody out of the flop. If you don't, you're going to lose the hand 66% of the time. Okay. You got to know your numbers. Okay. okay. So, Noted. Noted. Uh, don't, think, yeah, don't think it's going to last all the way to the river. You'll get busted more times than not. Okay. So, uh, with that, I raised, and the flop came 10-8-10. <clears throat> I bet out. He raised me, right? Yep. Okay. Um, no, excuse me. I bet out. He called, right? Then a king came. So, I bet out, and he raised me all in, right? Yep. And I only had about 160,000 chips left. Mm-hmm. So, I figured, okay, if he flopped a set, he would have raised on that. If he has ace king, he wouldn't have played this the way he played. So, you know, I went through all those scenarios. But the bottom line is, it would have put me in the top 10 players chip leading wise. I would have been about 12, 1.2 million chips or more. <laughs> so I called and he flopped quad eights. He flopped four eights. Oh. So I wound up winning 27,000 and change. Then I went back uh, to LA and the Hustler Casino here had a con- had a, uh, a, a tournament. <clears throat> Two weeks later, I entered against fifteen hundred plus people for two hundred fifty dollars, and I got first place. Wow! I, won- I beat them all for seventy five thousand. So that was that was a uh, winnings. That was a pretty big market. 
That's hilarious. I, I don't. I, never, I, never, I don't like talking numbers because it's not like I'm sitting here rolling in cash or something like that. I, I just, you know, people are out there busting their ass for, you know, three hundred, five hundred dollar paychecks a week, and God bless them all, right? Yeah. So I don't like throwing those kind of numbers out. But you asked me, and I told you. No, I, I've never been to a casino. So, I mean, we played, I played online slots and casinos, but I think it's all rigged and I'm just thr- trying to play, you know, everything on black or red. So I'm still just trying to figure it black out. Black or red 50 50. That's okay. Black Ross, highest odds. Blackjack can be a good game. Yeah. Poker is play the player, not the cards. Right. Um, the one arm bandits, that's why they're called one arm bandits, not the people who win. I've seen people win big on it, but even Dana White will tell you what. Yeah. All right, Bruce, I got two more for you. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, if you could get stuck in an elevator with a current UFC fighter for 10 more seconds, who would you choose? We're kind of referring to this Frank Trigg moment. Oh, if I'm going to fight him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me just yeah. say, I don't care to be in an elevator and fight any more UFC fighters. <laughs> I mean, if I got to do what I got to do, I don't pretend to be the toughest guy in the world. It's just bottom line. You should always stand up for yourself. And that's exactly what I did in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last one here, man to man, what is the key to success? BSC, my buffer is in balls, skill, and confidence. Mm-hmm. Know your game, have the information. So like I say in my podcast, when you step out of that yellow brick road, you perform at your best, you be your best, whether you're number one or champion or 10. In fact, you're performing your best, then you're winning. But the big thing is to uh, patience, confidence, and know your game. Do your do your homework. Yeah. And believe Try in yourself. Believe Try in to yourself. make some money off it too, right? Well, yeah. Well, one of the key things too is if you can find what you're passionate about and monetize it, then when the when the problems hit, when you have the rough times in business and stuff like that, uh, you'll be able to pick yourself off the ground, step forward, and throw punches harder than ever, like Rocky says. I love it. And then anything you want to plug here? I know you got some cologne. I'm single trying to find a girlfriend. If I could use some or you got some alcohol, what do you want to plug here, Bruce? Well, I will say that my It's Time cologne is the top-selling cologne on Amazon in the United States. It's in 30 countries in Europe. It'll be in all the stores here in the United States coming very soon. Mm -hmm. This is a very sensual, charismatic scent. Don't – why not just put it on properly? Women love this. Trust me. Okay. Uncle Bruce is giving you a little advice. Go to Amazon. Get your It's Time cologne. It's an $80 bottle, but it's selling for $49.95, I think, on Amazon. Okay, cool. And last lot time, really a great thing. And then uh, take them out for a little drink, a little puncher's chance, yep. which is the uh, top uh, rated the top five best sipping bourbon in America. It's price range right now. You can get this in all the stores. Just go to puncherschancebourbon.com, put in your zip code, find out where you can buy it near you or order off the site, have it delivered to your house. And I come out with a 12-year reserve, 14 reserve, and I just came out with the undisputed um, single barrel version which awesome. uh, won a platinum award coming right out of the gate. And this has already won about five gold medals and another five for design of the bottle. So I'm very happy. It's doing really incredibly well. Yeah. Um, and um, like I always like to say, I want to show Connor how to do it the proper way. So Okay, I love it. Well, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, yeah, it sounds like that's a combination I need for a Friday night, my brother. Yeah. Yes, no, it is. Follow me on Instagram at Bruce Buffer UFC. I announce everything. Uh, there's a whole line of toiletries coming out. And then very soon, in about two months or less, you're going to hear about the greatest, most natural, finest energy drink on the market. Let's go. No crash. No crap and no crash. No crap and no you crash. You drink four cans of this a day, no crash. Uh, even uh, Jeff Tavisky with Sada, he likes it too. I'm, I'm a big energy drink guy. 
This yeah, is gonna I'm, be a big one. I was gonna say I'm a big energy drink guy, so I need, I'm looking for something new and not all this crap that I'm probably drinking. Start out. with this, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All righty, Bruce Buffer on the Man to Man podcast. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll look forward to what suit you're gonna be wearing on UFC 292. Do you know what suit you're wearing yet or no? Uh, for Boston, no, I'm not quite sure. Okay, well, we'll be. I'll make. I'll make a nice decision for that one. It's. I'll be a little flashy so I can compare myself to Sean O'Malley. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you so much, Bruce Bubba, for your time. We appreciate it, man. All right, thank you, Liam. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.